We're all waiting for the serious upgrades to the Miami Dolphins 2023 offensive line. And some fans are frustrated that those upgrades haven't come in free agency. But what is recent history of doing business in free agency on the offensive line look like? And what are some of the risks from years past? You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins, your team every day here on the Locked On Network. Today is Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. And today on the show, a historical look at doing business in free agency with big money contracts and how those stories have ended for the respective players and teams that received those deals. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today's episode of Locked On Dolphins is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, host here on Locked On Dolphins, co-host of Locked On NFL Scouting with Joe Marino, uh, dedicated to team building in the NFL. I am Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked On Dolphins, and I did a little bit of a research project because I've heard the noise from Dolphins fans. Where are the upgrades on the offensive line? Why doesn't Chris Greer care about the offensive line? How have they not possibly justified spending the dollars? And I'd like to make something abundantly clear. Adding two starting adequate starting caliber players on the offensive line has been on my personal punch list for the Dolphins since uh, probably the start of the 2022 offseason. <laughs> um, uh, after they they added Connor Williams and Teron Armstead, you kind of looked at those two spots with the two young players that the Dolphins invested top 50 selections in and knew that um, those stories weren't trending in a favorable direction, and they, they did not trend in favorable directions again in 2022. Um, and adding a starting caliber players is important in my eyes for the Dolphins to solidify this unit and make sure they put themselves in the best position to maximize this opportunity in 2023. That is very important for me to emphasize because the research project that I did looks at 2023 through 2011 or 2013. So it's 10 years of players who have signed deals plus this year's class, 11 free agent classes. And the objective was to identify uh, free agent contracts that were signed by offensive linemen that the annual average salary of that contract was at a minimum three and a half percent of that year, the year that they were signing against the cap. So for example, uh, Jawan Taylor this year signed for $20 million annual average salary with the Kansas City Chiefs. That's an 8.9% commitment against this year's salary cap. He's on the list. He's the top. As a matter of fact, he is uh, of all offensive linemen since 2013. There has never been a greater ratio of percentage against the cap on the average salary versus that year's salary cap then Jawan Taylor, the next previous high for a player that was playing for a new team 
also the Kansas City Chiefs in 2021. And then the Chiefs signed Joe Tooney to play uh, left guard for them as well. That was 8.77 with a $16 million per year average in 2021. So looking at this year's class and then looking at past year's classes, the objective was to identify trends and the risk versus the reward of targeting offensive linemen with big money contracts in the open market. Because the general thesis is this. If you're a quality starting offensive lineman, your team is not going to let you go. Because there is such a scarcity of quality starting offensive linemen in the NFL, the teams that have good ones generally keep good ones until they feel they're not going to perform any longer. That's the general thesis, and I, I aspired to define that by looking uh, at doing business in the open market with veteran free agents on the offensive line that are getting big money contracts. So here's what I could tell you. Since 2013, the 2013 offseason, there have been, I, I have documented 101 offensive linemen who signed a new contract as a scheduled free agent in which the average of the contract was equal to that year's 3.5% against the cap or more. 101. Now, I can't guarantee that's every single one. My due process was I went through all the free agent classes in spot track uh, going back to 2013 and then went through just to make sure that there were no players that were missing. And I did catch a couple because of the timing in which they signed. I went through individual articles that had free agent uh, class recaps. Uh, and, and I cross-checked back through 2016 on the individual website recaps. So uh, 101 offensive line contracts. Uh, of those 101, there's obviously 10 uh, from this year's cycle that qualified at 3.5% against the cap or more. They are Jawan Taylor, $20 million per. Mike McGlinchey, 17.5 per. Orlando Brown Jr., 16 and change. Jason Kelsey staying with the Philadelphia Eagles for 14 and a quarter. Ben Powers, just short of $13 million with the Denver Broncos. Kayla McGarry, right tackle, staying with the Atlanta Falcons for 11 and a half. Uh, Nate Davis going to the Chicago Bears for 10 per. That's 4.445 against the cap. Andre Dillard going to the Tennessee Titans for just short of $10 million. Isaac Ciamalo to the Pittsburgh Steelers and Andrew Wiley to the Washington Commanders. Those were $8 million per. That was 3.56% against the cap for those two contracts. So you have 91 left across 10 seasons of free agency. Of those 91, 75 of them went to a new team, and that's important. Because anytime you are signing players to add to your roster, it's not a matter of retaining your own or extending a player that you acquired via trade because those are more feasible talent acquisition to get caliber starting players. 75 with a new team across a 10-year sample size with at least one year of play going to 2022. I measured those 75 players in a number of metrics, and they're not perfect. I'll be the first to say it. There's nothing that substitutes actually watching the tape of the players, special in the offensive line. But a handful of ways to arbitrarily quantify offensive line play in the NFL. Um, I looked at their annual average salary, what percentage of the cap they, they committed to, how many Pro Bowls they were named to from the time they signed the contract to the end of their playing careers if, or to current day. Uh, their pro football reference 
approximate value one year peak. What was the best season that they had according to that metric from pro football reference after signing the new contract and their pro football focus one year grade peak after signing the contract. And again, I understand these, these are some arbitrary numbers, but when you're looking at 101 free agent signings of offensive linemen, whose average salary is three and a half percent against the cap or higher, uh, I spent quite a bit of time yesterday assembling the table. I unfortunately did not have the time to grind the tape on all 101 free agent signings. So uh, use this as kind of the benchmark and the starting point. Our objective is to identify what the risks and the trends were across big money contracts. Let's first establish the baseline. Liam Eikenberg and Austin Jackson. These are the two public enemy number ones for a lot of Dolphins fans for being high draft picks that Dolphins fans are eager to see replaced and not be put back in the starting lineup again in 2023. Liam Eikenberg, uh, 2.185 is his salary cap this year. That is 0.97% of the cap. He obviously has not been named to any Pro Bowls. His approximate value one-year peak for pro football reference was seven. And his pro football focus one-year peak across his first two seasons in the NFL was 50.8 out of 100. Not great. Austin Jackson, $4.34 million is his cap hit. That is 1.92% of this year's salary cap. He also has not been named to any Pro Bowls. His pro football reference... Approximate value one-year peak was also seven, and his pro football focus one-year peak across his first three seasons of NFL play was 57.9. That came this year in playing in just two games. So now you know the metrics, you know the numbers, you know the players, the incumbents. We got to talk about the trends that we've identified across a 10-year sample size of three and a half plus percent against the cap contracts in, in the open market for teams acquiring new players to add to their offensive line. But before we get there, college basketball tournament is in full swing. It's heating up. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because no new customers getting no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't hit with FanDuel, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, Super easy to use, and then you can use everything from the money line to point scores and everything in between to try to maximize your wins on a daily basis. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at bigger payouts with same-game parlays. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So let's talk about it. 75 players across that 10-year sample size who have played at least a season. There have been five offensive tackles across those 75 offensive linemen who made at least one Pro Bowl after signing that 3.5% plus contract for the rest of their careers. And none of them have been named to more than one. They are Teron Armstead, Miami Dolphins, 2022. 
Uh, Tehran signed in 2022 for $15 million per new team. That 7.2% against the cap one pro bowl for him. Uh, he had a pro football focus grade last year of 77.5 and his pro football reference approximate value last season was nine. Nine is generally considered a, a good number and it would have been higher for Tehran had he not missed the games that he did because it, it, that weighs into unlike pro football focus, um, availability. Trent Brown with the Las Vegas Raiders in 2019. Trent Brown in 2019 signed a $16.5 million per year. That was 8.77% of the cap against the time. He made one Pro Bowl. Uh, his pro football reference peak uh, was 63, or his pro football focus grade was 65.3. His one-year peak uh, for approximate value after signing that contract for the remainder of his career uh, was seven. Not so the same value that you get with Liam Eikenberg and with Austin Jackson. And that's part of the trouble with, with using pro pro bowls as a, a measure, right? Is there's a reputation standard there that might not be totally reflective of the actual performance on the field. And Trent Brown signed that after balling out with the Patriots. Russell Okun uh, with the LA chargers in 2017 and Andrew Whitworth with the LA Rams in 2017. Whitworth coming from Cincinnati to the Rams, and Okung was with Denver, then with the Chargers in 2017. Uh, so two Pro Bowlers in the same year. And then Brandon Albert, Miami Dolphins, signed in 2014, made the Pro Bowl in 2015. That is it for offensive tackles. There were interior offensive linemen, several of which uh, Larry Warford and Alex Mack being the two in particular that had seven Pro Bowls combined after signing those new contracts. Moving on the interior is a little bit more fluid. Conversely, there were seven offensive tackles that took their final snap in the NFL within two years after putting pen to paper on that 3.5% plus against the cap. Alejandro Villanueva, Brian Bulaga, Matt Khalil, Luke Jokel, Menelik Watson, Orlando Franklin, and Anthony Collins. So you had a better chance of taking your final snap in the NFL within two years of signing the contract than you did to make a Pro Bowl as an offensive tackle over the last 10 years when your contract was 3.5% against the cap commitment or more. What does that tell you? That tells you the days of success for those players is largely behind you. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case for Jawan Taylor or Mike McGlinchey or Orlando Brown, who are your three big money. You know, they're all 7% against the cap or more for their annual average salary. But the challenge with those guys is those dollar amounts were probably never going to be in play for the Dolphins in the open market. Well, you, your, your ceiling was probably the Caleb McGarry's of the world at 5% against the cap. That extra 2% is a, a difference of five, five and a half million per season. So then you're into the Andre Dillards of the world, who is a first round pick who could not break the starting lineup in Philadelphia across a bunch of injuries and, and a seventh round pick that developed and beat him out. Um, Andrew Wiley, kind of a, a career 
journeyman until the last few seasons. And, and he's a challenging one because while he's playing for a new team, he's playing in the same system. Eric Bieniemy went from Kansas City to Washington. So Wiley was the start of the last year since Mitchell Schwartz retired. By the way, Mitchell Schwartz, one of the, the arousing success stories of free agency um, across this 10-year sample size at offensive tackle, but never made a Pro Bowl. So didn't qualify for that five Pro Bowl tackles, seven final snap in the NFL within two years of signing their deals. In total, 14 of those 75 players in total, not offensive tackles, but total 14 made at least or 14 were out of the league within two years, including interior offensive linemen and 20 total interior or 20 total offensive linemen made at least one pro bowl honor. So the ratio is nearly 50, 50 of you get a pro bowl for a big money contract or the players out of the league within two years. And that's part of the challenge in navigating the waters of where the uh, risk and reward is for big money contracts in free agency. Now, pro football focus, you know, the, these grades, um, you can take as seriously as you would like to. I think that they have a number of valuable assessment components and, and advanced statistics, but the grades is little bit more arbitrary and ambiguous at times. Um, but nevertheless, in an attempt to qualify offensive line play, here's what I would say. The top 15 grades of all offensive linemen to play at least 50% of their team's snaps in 2022. The top 15 all logged a grade of 80 or higher. And across these 75 offensive linemen to sign these 3.5% against the cap or higher contracts, there were a grand total of 14 who logged a single season of 80 or higher as their high watermark for pro football focus grade. So there were more offensive linemen this year in the NFL who logged an 80 or higher than there were free agent additions of 3.5% against the cap or more who logged an 80 or higher for the rest of their careers. Going again back to the challenge of the good ones, you're not normally going to find on the open market. And when the good ones do get on the open market, that's how you end up with Jawan Taylor having the highest percentage against the cap for his average salary in the last 10 years being committed to in a contract. Because there were a number of teams that saw, hey, this is a young offensive tackle with a lot of physical tools. We think his best days are ahead of him. We're in the market. And we're in the market, and so many teams are in the market that it becomes nearly 9% of your cap commitment is Jawan Taylor for his average salary. Pro Bowls, we acknowledge the challenge of Pro Bowls. A lot of Pro Bowl is reputation. But there is an interesting distribution. We mentioned that there were 20 offensive linemen, individuals, 20 individuals, who received at least one Pro Bowl honor after signing that big free market contract. So quite the bell curve here. When you look at the percentage against the cap of the annual average salary and put it into tiers, if you were 7% or more, so that's players like Brandon Sheriff, Teron Armstead, just in recent years, 2021 guys were 
uh, Joe Thune and Corey Lindsley, and those two each made a Pro Bowl in addition to Teron Armstead. Uh, Trent Brown, who we acknowledged as a tackle. Mitch Morse with the Bills was under 7%, so he doesn't quite make this cut. Nate Solder with the Giants, who did not make a Pro Bowl. Andrew Norwell with the Jaguars in 2018. Uh, Russell Lokung and Andrew Whitworth in 2017, who each made a Pro Bowl, as we acknowledged. All of those are the kinds of players. And in th this year, the three players who were over 7% were Jawan Taylor, Mike McGlinchey, and Orlando Brown. There were seven individual Pro Bowls in that bucket. So not individual players, but Pro Bowls respectively. Seven Pro Bowls for 7% against the cap or more players. Five and a half to 7%, there were 12. And the large reason for that is you got seven combined Pro Bowls between Larry Warford, the guard who signed with the Saints, and Alex Mack, the center who signed with the Falcons. Again, interior offensive lineman is a devalued position. Their high watermarks are not going to exceed into the 7% against the cap or more. Oh, Joe Thune was the, the high watermark. I think Joe Thune's probably the only guard on this list over 7%. Uh, Kevin Zeitler at 7.1% from 2017 signing with the Vikings. Uh, Kalichio Semele with the Raiders in 2016 at 7.5%. So only the, the peak of the peak guards touch 7%, where these tackles are getting 8 9% or more. If you go from 4.5% to 5.5%, percentage of the cap for the annual average salary, you have eight Pro Bowls. But if you go from 4.5% down to 35 which is the, the threshold in which we're measuring these contracts, there's just one, and that player was Mike Pouncey with the Chargers. And quite frankly, he got that Pro Bowl on reputation as kind of the, the asterisk there of acknowledging uh, the challenges of, of Pro Bowls being a true measuring stick of player performance. So 5.5% or more, you have 19 Pro Bowls. Under 55 five to 3.5%, you have 9 it's almost a two-to-one ratio. So you you got to really spend. And this year, the 5.5% guys were the three tackles we mentioned, plus Jason Kelsey on the interior, Ben Powers, and that's it. It's $13 million per more to give yourself what you would feel would be a reasonable chance at getting a Pro Bowl caliber player. I would extend beyond this, too, that there's – not a guarantee that spending is going to actually resolve the issue either. I mean, I look at across this 10-year sample size, the teams who led in the number of contracts that they give across that 10-year sample size, that was over 3.5% annual average salary for the contract. The team that gave the most out across the 10 years was the New York Jets, and they gave out seven. The seven that they gave out, and I'm, promise I'm not doing this just to throw dirt on the Jets. Lakin Tomlinson, Dwayne Brown, George Finn, Connor McGovern, Ryan Khalil, Spencer Long, and Calvin Beecham. How many of those are good additions? How many of those solved the problem? I can tell you that you certainly didn't feel like Lakin Tomlinson solved any problems for the Jets this year. Dwayne Brown was sufficient, but at 13.3 per is the average. George Fant's probably been the best one of this group. 
and he had a one-year high-water market left tackle and then regressed again last year as now he hits free agency. Ryan Khalil and Spencer Long were out of the league within two years of signing the deals. Kelvin Beecham has become a, a sufficient starter, but at right tackle for the, the Cardinals. And Beecham signed that deal with the Jets in 2017. The LA Chargers are number two. And the LA Chargers have signed six in that 10-year sample size. And those players are Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer, Brian Bulaga, Mike Pouncey, Russell Okung, and Orlando Franklin. Three of those players, Bulaga, Pouncey, and Franklin, were out of the league within two years, played their last snap within two years of signing the contract. Filer's no longer on the team. Okung made a Pro Bowl, and Mike Pouncey made a Pro Bowl, and Corey Lindsley made a Pro Bowl. Lindsley's a, a very good signing for them, but that, that came at seven, 6.85% against the cap. Uh, for a center in 2021. The third highest best team, there's two, the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The contracts that the Jaguars gave out, Brandon Sheriff, Andrew Norwell, Kelvin Beecham, Jeremy Parnell, and Zane Beatles. Uh, and some of these are getting back into 13, 14, 15, and the cap commitments are significantly less. Like Parnell was probably the best consistent performer for them uh, across those five contracts, but he came at 6.4 million annual average salary. And the Denver Broncos, Jawan James, Ronald Leary, Menelik Watson, Russell Okung, and Luis Vasquez. Uh, Vasquez was phenomenal for one season, uh, but very dramatically fell off. He signed in 13. Okung made a Pro Bowl. Menelik Watson was out of the league within one year. Ronald Leary could not stay healthy beyond the first year he played there. Uh, Juwan James barely played it all on that contract. So I'm not sitting here dismissing the Dolphins for not adding players to the offensive line, but I think there is an acknowledged inherent risk with the players that are hitting the market on free agency are hitting the market for a reason. And a lot of times it's not reasons that set themselves up favorably for being a continued quality contributor to your offensive line and to your team. And when you put those players in a market where teams are desperate for quality offensive linemen and have money at their disposal to spend, the recipe is usually you're overpaying for talent that is not going to provide the return on investment. Now, I do think there were a couple addition opportunities for the Dolphins that, that would have made sense uh, the three and a half to four and a half percent players, while you're acknowledging based on historical trends that there's been one Pro Bowl in the last 10 years, and that was a guy who got on and off reputation as a former top 20 pick. Nate Davis, Andre Dillard, Isaac Ciamalo, and Andrew Wiley. Uh, Nate Davis, I was not interested in in 10 million per. Andre Dillard has not been a starter and got 9.6. I think Ciamalo and Andrew Wiley were interesting players. And uh, Siamalu, I probably would have considered, and Andrew Wiley for their their price points, I would have considered. Now, you, you know you're not going to sign Dan Feeney, and that's fine, uh, but you're probably not going to sign at least one of your other starting caliber players. And I would ask this, is Isaac Siamalu or Andrew Wiley at left guard or right tackle, when Siamalu played right guard in Philadelphia, 
are those better players than David Long, respectively, at his position? And the same thing can be asked about the guys on the open market at the top for tackles. Juwan Taylor, Mike McGlinchey, Orlando Brown Jr., Ben Powers, those are, those are all over that, that 5% threshold. They were guys that you would think have a reasonable chance of making a Pro Bowl, and, and some of them are still in the physical prime of their careers. You could have fit those contracts on, but you definitely aren't getting Jalen Ramsey. And My question would be, is Jalen Ramsey at another premier position and another primary position of need for the Dolphins a better football player than the tackles, yes or no? I think Jalen Ramsey is a better football player. So you got a better football player and you avoided the rat race of the open market. And then you reworked his contract in a way in which his cap hit this year is less than $3 million. So it's hard because you can't do everything, right? And even if the Dolphins had the, if the Dolphins had the first round pick this year that was stripped of them because of the, the Tom Brady and Sean Payton snafus you're probably talking about drafting an offensive tackle in the top 25 and you probably feel much better about your outlook for the first round or for for improving the offensive line and instead you don't have that so now we're sitting here asking ourselves where these are going to come now i didn't document these signings but you did notice quite a few signings of veteran players who are probably in the same stratosphere of we're within two or three years of the end of our, our snaps, taking snaps in the NFL. And they're signing for $5 million, $6 million, $4 million. Those are veterans getting cut free from big contracts post June 1. So I just hope that, that you know the entire body of work here and the entire research project was aimed to provide some statistics and some perspective that spending early in free agency doesn't guarantee you're going to fix your offensive line. Case in point, the Jets, Chargers, and, and Broncos and Jaguars um, have given out the most big money contracts. The Dolphins are fifth on that list, by the way. They've given out four, Teron Armstead, Eric Flowers, Josh Sitton, and Brandon Albert. I'd say you had about a 50% hit rate there, which quite frankly is probably better than the, the average across the 91 players that we have documented across the 10-year sample size. You're not guaranteeing you're fixing it by spending early in free agency. As a matter of fact, spending early in the free agency window almost guarantees you're going to overpay. Case in point, Tron Armstead took five days after the opening of the free agent market to sign. And they got him, quite frankly, as a steal. As I'll sit here and I'll list it out. I can reorder it right now. I can tell you Tron Armstead, his free agent signing was the eighth highest percentage at 7.2% of the annual average salary against that year's salary cap. Some of the players who went, who are above him, Trent Brown, Nate Solder, Brandon Sheriff, Andrew Norwell. You know, these aren't favorable players. Uh, Kalichi Assembly was excellent for the Raiders for two years. And Joe Thune's been outstanding since he signed with the Chiefs. So patience can be a good thing. Additionally, there's quite an alarming amount of flags and grenades throughout this field of players that tells you uh, that if these guys are hitting the market, there's probably a pretty decent chance they're hitting the market for a reason. Now, as far as the ones 
in this year's class between Taylor and McGlinchey and Brown, I, I certainly think they're the performance was they were adequate starters, but do you want to play an adequate starter $17.5 million per season? I don't. If I'm putting that kind of money into it, I bet I damn well better be getting a roster cornerstone. But that's the cost of business of putting offensive linemen who you know have years of play in front of them into the open market where teams can bid on their services. And the Dolphins being out of that market is not necessarily a bad thing. But they do have to address this offensive line and they have to bring some new bodies into the mix beyond just Dan Feeney. And I'm confident that that will happen. And if it doesn't, as I said on social media two weeks ago, if it's August 1st and these are the names that we have, the names we have are the names that we have, then we're going to have a problem. But I'm willing to see the, what the rest of this process plays out because I see enough negatives with the cost of doing business in the open market in the way that we've documented here that I'm comfortable with this not being the solution that the Dolphins are committed to take because it would have really limited what they would be able to do with the rest of the roster. And Kyle Krabs, it's going to do it for us today on Locked on Dolphins. Fins up, keep it locked in. Right here, Locked on Dolphins, your team every day here on the Locked on Network. You can find Locked on Dolphins on YouTube or wherever you listen to all of your favorite podcasts. Appreciate you guys checking out the show. Make it a great rest of your day, and I'll talk with you all again tomorrow for our mailbag episode of Power to the Pod. Fins up.